And so today's passage is Luke uh, chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to read it first, uh, mostly because I couldn't come up with a good uh, illustration. Uh, Nora had a good one. She said, "You know, you should just tell people you've heard of parables before, but you don't really know what you're talking about." So, so that's there's my illustration. Uh, so we're starting parables. Luke chapter nine, uh, verse fifty-one. It says this. As the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. And as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. And that man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. This is God's word. Last fall, uh, we spent uh, a lot of time going through really good stuff really quickly. Uh, one of the biggest things that we talked about, this um, important stuff that we talked about last fall, was that the mission of Jesus is to make himself known and to restore all things. That that's what the mission of Jesus is. Uh, a sort of fancy or shorthand biblical way of talking about Jesus' mission is to talk about the kingdom of God, where everything that he wants and everything that he desires manifests, manifests itself in this world, in our lives, in our relationships, in the, the palaces and the mundane places of this world. And that, to me, that kingdom of God, mission everywhere, all of life is, is Jesus making himself known and making things new. That sounds, to me, really extraordinary, uh, and it makes the kingdom sound, to me, just so powerful uh, that it's, it's just beyond me, honestly. Uh, that this comprehensive work of Jesus to change the entire world. Uh, that just sounds to me like so highlight real beyond my comprehension. Uh, but the kingdom is actually just this patient presence in everyday small things. And that's the part that I really want us to understand and grow in that the kingdom of God and the mission of God is not just sort of these highlight real, high expectations, high you know, performance things, but it's actually found in the very small, mundane, ordinary life things that fill our schedules and fill our calendars. That's where the kingdom comes. And I want us to really grow in that and, and begin to follow Jesus uh, and be attentive to his presence in all of those things in our daily lives. And so for the next 12 weeks, we're going to be listening to, meditating on, and learning from Jesus' parables uh, that are found in the Gospel of Luke. Each Gospel has parables, but Luke's are a little unique. 
from Luke chapter 9 to 19, there, it's just filled with all of these parables. And so today I want to just introduce this whole series of parables by talking about the setting. Where is it that he's talking and telling these stories? What are parables? Uh, Who's the audience that he's talking to? Because he has these mixed audiences of non-religious and super-religious people. And then I want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit and us understanding what it is that Jesus is talking about. Uh, and as we do that, I think we'll be set up for the next 12 weeks to really devour uh, these little stories that Jesus tells. Uh, so first, uh, the setting. Uh, from this passage on until Luke 19, Jesus and his disciples are going from Galilee, the place of his early ministry, the place where he grew up and his disciples grew up. It's the place of all of these miracles that we kind of know, like off the top of our heads. Uh, it's the place where Jesus called the disciples initially and said, come drop your nets, follow me, all that good stuff. It's where his teaching really happened. Uh, that's Galilee. And he's traveling from there, that sort of hometown advantage, beautiful moment, to Jerusalem, the place where he's going to die, the place where he's going to be re resurrected, the place where he's going to be exalted, like pretty fantastic stuff. Uh, but Luke then places this long section, 10 chapters, it's over a third of the whole gospel of Luke, are, is him just sort of walking between those two places with his disciples. Uh, while the Galilee section in Luke is really methodical, the first 10 chapters really, are really methodical as, as Luke is trying to say, look, Jesus really is the salvation of the world. Jesus really is the hope of the world. Jesus is really God. And then the last 10 chapters are really amazing as well, where he's saying, look, this is how Jesus saves the world and how he is the hope of the world as he you know, goes into trials, as he's killed, as he's resurrected. But then this travel narrative is really chaotic chronologically. Like, there's no, like, real method to it. Uh, it's kind of mundane in all of its settings. There's nothing special around happening at all. Uh, and the topics are overwhelmingly ordinary. And Jesus walks through this place, Samaria. And Samaria was an unholy place that was culturally, in people's minds, was separated from the activity of God. That's what people thought. In that place, in that land, among those people, God is not active at all. And, and they're hostile to Jesus, as I read in that passage, right? There's a whole village that just says, hey, if that's where you're headed, you can't come through here. Uh, the land itself was difficult. It was difficult to walk through. It was dangerous to get, uh, get through. But then Jesus takes it, uh, and Luke takes it, to show us that, that the way uh, of going between these two places of extraordinary things is actually quite special. Uh, we might find these things that happen really uh, inconsequential. These conversations, I think if you follow Jesus, uh, you, would, you would not even think of, man, that's really got to go into a book that's going to be preserved for thousands of years. After all, you know, we might think the upper room where he's breaking bread and sharing wine and talking about his death, like that's a special moment, right? Uh, the, the Mount of Olives where he's praying and pleading uh, to God that, that somehow there'd be a different way to save the world. Uh, 
the temple, the Mount of Calvary, where he's you know, spread out on a cross, breathing his last breath. Those are the things to remember, right? The garden, uh, where the tomb is rolled away, those are the real places of God's activity. Those are the real inflection points. This journey through rocky, dry land where people want nothing to do with God, where God isn't involved, that's not special. But Samaria and Jesus' journey through it, it kind of feels like, to me, uh, like the Monday through Friday. Uh, The world that we walk through between these moments of high religious excitement. Uh, It's the valley, definitely not the mountain. Uh, Samaria is the Zoom call after Zoom call. Uh, Samaria is the grocery store with all the other people. It's the basketball court. It's the classroom. It's the DMV. That is Samaria. Samaria is also that hostile place and those hostile places that we all know really well. Through social cues and just by being alive, we know that when we go into those places, it's not for us to bring God into them. Like, God isn't active here. Uh, Everyone tells us that. There's all these cues that show us that. You leave that God talk and that Jesus-y stuff, you leave that at the door. And you can pick it up on your way out if you want. But this is Samaria. This is the ordinary world where where we just operate and do our own thing. But Jesus, uh, really through Luke's crafting in his gospel, tells us that Samaria, all of those places is where Jesus really wants to go anyway. Jesus points out to us that what's on the way is just as important as what's coming. Jesus reveals that Samaria itself is holy. Why does Samaria become holy? Because Jesus is walking through it and he's noticing it all over again. The things uh, that you're just trying to get through, you know, the things that like maybe you've done the math like I have and you know you look at South Africa and you're like, well, we might have two more weeks of this. Let's just get through these two weeks. Like maybe that's, maybe you've not done that or maybe you think it's four weeks or eight weeks or 20 years, but whatever. And you think, I'm just gonna get through this phase. If I could just get through this busyness right now. But what the Samaritan journey tells us And what Jesus is telling us is the things that we're just getting through is where the kingdom wants to come. The obstacles that you face are holy. So we ask questions here. So here's my question for you to think about as I explain all of that. What is your Samaria right now? The in-between, the just place that you go through, that you're just trying to get through, the obstacles the way, not the destination. What is it for you right now? Work. Work. (laughs) It's great. You're just getting through that day of work, getting through that week of work. Everybody is working for the weekend. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. I don't know if work's ever felt more mundane than it does now, or more of an obstacle than it does now. Yeah. Dinner through bedtime. Dinner through bedtime. Yeah, the witching hour. (laughs) We call it something else, but it's not appropriate. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, man, when Mirella's not at home, 
that, that time frame is real short. <laughs> she'll call me and she'll be like, so are you putting the kids to bed? No, they're already in bed. <laughs> we ate dinner, we bathed, we put them in bed. 45 minutes, fast. Because we, we're just trying to get through it. And, and those kids do not want you to bring God into those moments. That's exactly right. What else is Samaria? Online classes. Yeah, just get through, like, like, let's just get to in-person. Absolutely. Yeah, anybody else? That split second when you try to plug in the phone charger and it just doesn't work. <laughs> when you're trying to plug the phone charger? That's, yeah, that's pretty good. When you want your uh, wireless earphones to charge, that's Samaria. Yeah, that's good. What I think is so special about these uh, 10 chapters, give or take, is that it tells us that there's not a single place where his kingdom doesn't come. Uh, There's not a Zoom class where his kingdom isn't present. There's not a bedtime routine where Jesus isn't saying, all of that ordinary, grab my blanket, grab my book, I'm there and I'm involved. Uh, There's not a work or trial or anything that we're going through in which Jesus doesn't say, I want to bring my grace and my love there too. But it's not just that Jesus is walking through Samaria, it's also what he talks about all along. And it's these things called parables. Uh, The parables reveal to us that everything is kingdom territory all over again. All the Gospels, as I said, have parables. Luke has 10 extra ones. There's 10 parables in Luke that are not found in any other Gospel, and they all come in this section. That's where all the extra ones come. Uh, The parable uh, is a form of speech, as you might have guessed, that has a style all on its own. Uh, It's a way of saying something that really requires the imagination and the participation of the listener. A parable does not spell things out for you. The parable is something that you kind of throw out there and then you make the listener actually interpret it and get themselves involved in it. Uh, It literally means throwing something alongside of. Uh, Para means alongside uh, and bowl means to throw. So just, it's like a parable is just throwing something out there. It's as if it's hanging out there And all of us who listen and hear it then have to do some work with it ourselves. We're forced to ask questions like, what is this doing here? Like, what is this thing about foxes and dens and birds and nests? What is that? We have to ask. We're forced to think. We're forced to see connections. We're forced to relate to it. John Sullivan, a French priest, he wrote, a parable is feeble, Almost all of the power is on the one who hears it. That's really what Jesus says, too, when he explains why he speaks in parables, when he says, let whoever has ears to hear, hear. And what uh, John Sullivan and Jesus are saying is that a parable is something that requires something of us. It's not the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's not the you know, proclamation of the Great Commission where it's like, well, those are the words, and so I just hear them and I must obey them and I must believe them. This is a thing where it's thrown out there and we have to work with our ears and our minds to actually see what's going on. Parables aren't typically given to explain something that we don't know 
or, or to introduce a whole new bit of information for us to consume. Instead, parables are given to consume us, like these that I read earlier, the fox and the den and the birds and the nests. It does something in our gut that we don't really know what to do with because it's consuming us. We're not consuming it as a bit of information. It's not to let us in on something new, but to get us to notice something that we've probably overlooked for years. Or it's used to get us to take seriously something that we've dismissed as just not important. But then suddenly, through the telling of a parable, we're involved in a way that information transfer can't. Uh, Sherry Harder, she's the president of Trinity of the Trinity Forum. Uh, she's a scholar and brilliant. She says this, arguments may form our opinions, but stories form our lives. And that's what Jesus is doing as he says these things. We can all get bullet points of things that we believe. Uh, I was at the platform last night getting ice cream. There was us and four other people total. It was kind of, it was creepy. Uh, but there was, there's a shop over there. They sell wool sh shoes or something. And they had on the window, here's our list of beliefs. And I'm serious, they sell, it's like wool, what are they, $700 wool? Well, it's like, it's like bags and shoes in there. And that's what they sell. And it's all wool, I'm pretty sure. But they had 12 we believe statements as you come in. It was like bullet points. And me being a writer, I was like, well, you could definitely reduce that down to three or four. <laughs> like several of these are overlapping. But the, the bullet point lists don't actually tell us what, an, what a company believes, right? You're all part of organizations, firms, you know, like businesses that have value statements, and they don't tell us what, what a company believes. What tells us what a company believes is the stories that they tell and that they retell and that they celebrate, right? Arguments can form our opinions. And a lot of us, I think we might have a bullet point list of this is what makes me a Christian. But, and this is what the kingdom of God is. And this is what the work of God's in our world, his mission, that's what it is. Bullet point, list, affirmations, things that we can pass tests on. But Jesus tells stories because that doesn't change our actual lives. Like the bullet points don't. The stories form and shape and mold us. So parables show us that Jesus works in areas that we actually don't think Jesus is involved in. Uh, this is, I think, why most of the parables are without any sort of religious baggage or background at all. The subject matter is super ordinary, like farmers and judges and victims and coins and fish and seeds, and vines, and sheep, and wedding receptions, and barns, and towers, wars, crooks, beggars, fig trees, sons, and fathers, and friends, and then finally manure. Doesn't get any more normal than that. These parables are all showing us that those things is where he's involved. Now there's this, this audience He's in Samaria, he's telling parables, and who are the people listening to him? Jesus uh, was walking, as we said, through this place where people are really irreligious and they were opposed to it all. Uh, they kind of had segmented and dualistic approaches to the world. 
where people might likely have said something like this, my hands are full dealing with my family, dealing with my business, dealing with my culture, dealing with the politics of the day. Keep that religious stuff out of here. They had, the Samaritans, an aversion to religious speak. And so Jesus talks about the kingdom by talking about bread. He talks about grace by talking about sons. He talks about God's work in their lives by talking about manure. The journey through Samaria takes several days, and soon Jesus is going to be in Jerusalem. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be killed. Like, this is his last time. Uh, This is his end uh, of his talking. This is going to be the end of the record of his life. Uh, He doesn't have much time, and this is the last chance that these people are going to hear the gospel of God and the kingdom of him at hand, all of that stuff. And yet Jesus doesn't hold rallies. He doesn't make sort of hardline appeals to people. He doesn't fine-tune his rhetoric just culturally for them in those five minutes when they're listening to him. Uh, He doesn't try to get people to believe before it's too late. At least that's not what it seems like. I mean, kind of imagine like the last 10 days of an election campaign and the, 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 the front runner decides, you know what, I'm done doing speeches and stuff. I'm just going to hang out and sit. I mean, that's kind of what Biden did now that I say it out loud. He just like stayed in his basement for like four months. But like imagine doing that. Like that's what Jesus did, does. Instead of having massive speeches in front of thousands and thousands of people where he tells people, this is the kingdom of God, believe, repent. What he does is he sits at tables, he walks along fields, uh, he rests at water fountains, he talks about neighbors and all of those things that we did, bandits and fruit trees. That's what he's doing. He's inviting them into his story and he's giving them space, and he gives them his ears. He throws this stuff out there, these parables, amongst this non-religious, very secular, dualistic, separatist people, and he says, now you process it, and I'm here to be a conversation partner with you. And there's something for us to learn very much here. I don't think that Uh, The thing for us to learn is, man, let's craft really good parables about ordinary things. Like, maybe we can. Some of us might have the gift of metaphor. Uh, But Jesus is teaching us how to walk with people with patience. He's teaching us how to be aware of our surroundings. He's teaching us to listen and create space with those people around us. Overall, he's teaching us how to not sermonize, but instead invite people into the story. Uh, Jesus, though, is also surrounded by super religious, dedicated people, the kind of people that always show up, that always put in the work, that believe all the right things. And there's nothing that religious people like more than to debate and learn about topics, to avoid encountering the living God. There's nothing we like more. There's no other technique that we employ more than, than to analyze things, to study things, to know things. That way we don't have to know the living God. And so Jesus uh, says, you cannot avoid me by standing behind these topics. And you see later in Luke, he, he has these debates with super religious people that want to ask weird, strange questions like, when we die, who are we married to if we got married four times? Like that kind of thing. Jesus has nothing to do with that stuff. 
Instead, what he wants to do is he wants to uh, uh, take this depersonalized religious talk and instead give us the living God. He doesn't want us to walk away with a bunch of information. He wants us to walk away with the knowledge of him. And so he chooses parables to immerse our personal lives in his kingdom. He forces us into participation with his grace, not knowing the definition of grace, but participating in it in an emotional, personal level. He wants us to know hope and to know love, not definitions that we can debate. And so once he tells the story, we, the religious, we're forced into it. And you can't debate with the story. Uh, you can only see yourself in it. And so that's the audience. So lastly, just this entire journey through this everyday life and through listening to these parables, I hope, develops in us an awareness and a hunger for the Holy Spirit. A, a hunger for the Holy Spirit to speak to us uh, in everyday things. Uh, as we hear these stories, as we read through all of these things, we're going to be forced to speak into them and to ask, Spirit, what does this have to do with me? What does bread have to do with me? What does a mustard seed have to do with me? What does manure have to do with my soul? And so we have to ask the Spirit those things, and from there, though, we're open into a, an entirely new world. If we do that with the parables, we're going to be stepping into a new world where we say, Spirit, what is this email from my boss doing to bring the kingdom to me? Spirit, what are you saying to me about the way you work and the way you move as I watch my kids play this game? Spirit, give me an imagination for your grace as I put them to bed. Spirit, give me an awe of your glory as I go to the grocery store. That's what the Holy Spirit will do in us as we study these parables. The other thing it'll do is it'll develop a hunger for this, that same Spirit to work through us and make things sacred. Make casual, casual conversations that we have with one another or with neighbors on sidewalks or with our coworkers. Make them sacred through the telling of story, through the listening of our ears. Can the, the, can the Spirit turn every spontaneous chat that's on our doorsteps, as we walk on beaches, as we have coffee, as we have dinner, after going to a great concert. I'm sure that'll happen again. Uh, with, I guess you can do that. Entertainment's open. Anyway, for now. In all of those things, will we have an expectation? Spirit, could you speak even through me? Could you speak even to me now? And that's all of this. Everything that I've shared is why we're doing parables for 12 weeks. Uh, we want to see Jesus walk through Samaria as he tells these stories because we want to see our ordinary lives filled with his story too. Uh, this last uh, parable, to, to conclude, just to give you some information about what it is that we read today, because he starts this whole journey with these two micro-parables uh, about foxes and dens and birds and nests, and then about this hand and this plow. Uh, what, what's telling is he's just starting this journey, just like we are. We're starting this journey with him, and he's got these people that say, I want to go there. 
And maybe that's you. You're like, I want to go there. I want to follow Jesus. I want to learn these things. I want to do this stuff. I'm ready. And what happens is these people uh, come and they say, hey, I want to follow you, but I can't right now. It just doesn't jive with me right now with what's going on. And back then, they didn't have the American dream. I know that's like shocking, uh, a world without the American dream. But I want to be honest as someone who's lived in different places. Uh, the American dream is just like the dream everybody has. Uh, our, the dream of I'm going to like get a home. And my home, if, if I inherit a home, I'm going to make it a little nicer than my parents made it. I'm going to make it a little bigger. I'm going to raise my kids a little bit better than they raised me. They're going to grow up, and I'm going to get an inheritance from my parents. But when my kids grow up, I'm going to leave them a little bit bigger of an inheritance back to them. Like that's just the dream. I mean, I've been all over the world. I've been in really poor places, really rich places, places that don't speak English, that only know America from McDonald's, all of that stuff. And that is the dream. The dream is, can I make something of my life and my kingdom a little bit bigger, a little bit better? And what the three people that come to Jesus have to say is, hey, I would love to have that cultural dream for my life alongside your kingdom. Like, that's what they're asking. And Jesus gives this, he, he tells them, he doesn't answer them in this like, hey, you know, God, country, family kind of bullet point list. He tells them this story. He tells them this parable. Foxes have dens and birds have nests. Foxes and birds, they spend their lives hunting, gathering, getting little insects, getting little chickens, that sort of thing. And then they have a place where they sort of make their den and make their nest. Birds spend season after season remaking their nests because they fall apart. If you see a bunch of birds active right now, it's because they're like, well, we have to rebuild everything because it rained in Los Angeles and it wasn't supposed to do that. And so what Jesus says is, look, birds, foxes, they can do that stuff, but the Son of Man... I don't do that. He says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And Jesus, from what we understand, was never sleeping outside unless he wanted to and unless that was part of the plan. He had tons of places to stay. He was, when, every time you see him invited to someone's house for dinner, it was pretty much implied he was invited to stay there also. He, he slept in some really great houses, some really average houses. Jesus was not homeless like you know, we see in our city today. What he's saying is, and I think it's really beautiful, is uh, he's saying if you're wanting that American dream or that cultural dream of building a name for yourself, having a property, growing your domain, follow someone else, like a fox or a bird. His focus, though, is going to be about bringing the kingdom and the reign of God into this world which is what the next parable is about with this plow and this field. Uh, he has these two people reject him for the same reasons that the first guy did, and he gives them this thing about no one puts their hand to the plow and looks back, is fit to be a servant in my kingdom. And now in those days, and all the way up until the Industrial Revolution, actually, uh, everyone had to plow a field pretty much the same way. It required maximum focus, energy, balance. You led a donkey in front of you if you were lucky, 
and you had a heavy blade behind you and that you held with your arm wrapped around it while your other hand was used to urge on and push on the donkey in front of you. And while you did that, kept keeping the donkey moving, keeping the blade going, you had to make sure that it was straight. You also had to make sure that the blade was deep enough and not too deep as you cut through hard ground, as you carved soil. And as you did all that, you had to have a big picture in your head of the entire field and the gaps between the rows, right? Like that's what it meant to plow a field before we got these huge John Deere tractors. Like that, that was it. And so what Jesus is saying is there's no time to focus on anything else when you're plowing a field. You can't be plowing your, the field and doing all of this work and then saying, you know, I want to do some jumping jacks while I'm doing it. It's like, you can't do that. You can't be plowing a field thinking, oh, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? You have to, it requires all your focus, all your intention, and it's multitasking all of these things for the sake of a greater purpose. There's no time to focus on different goals or agendas. And so what Jesus is saying to these people who essentially were saying, can I go home and deal with my family business first? Like, I know it sounds really insane, like, their dad's dead, and Jesus like, let them just bury their own dad. It's more of like, hey, can I wait there until my dad dies? Uh, can I go home and get everything built in my kingdom and get it all set up in all the way I want to, and then I'll follow you, Jesus? He says, no, you cannot live a life following me. You can't walk the journey of Samaria. You can't listen to these parables if what you're going to be doing is having two things going on at once, having two goals, having two orientations for your life. All of your life has to be viewed through the agenda of Jesus and Jesus only. And just like the person plowing the field has their arm around one thing, their hand with a whip, a donkey in front of them, a plow, like all of that stuff, your life is the same way. You're, you're grasping at your career and your family and your household and your relationships and all of your errands, and you're going through life. And Jesus isn't saying drop all of those things. What he's saying is your focus and your attention has to be about the kingdom coming in your life through all of those things. So keep your career, you know, keep your house, keep your family, keep your relationships, but the goal and the orientation of all of it has to be forward on my agenda only. That's what Jesus is saying. Can you put your hand to the plow and not look back? I want to remind you lastly of this quote from Miroslav Volf that I've shared many times because it's money for our days. He says, the main temptation is not to reject God outright, but to embrace God as something secondary and to use God as an instrument for our own ends. In the parables, Jesus challenges these would-be followers. He says, me and my kingdom cannot be secondary. Everything has to be aligned by my kingdom. Following me cannot be a stepping stone to a greater life. Following Jesus can only be the great life. And so as we embark on this reading of parables, let's envision our lives and all the fragments of it being brought into a unity under the precious care of Jesus. And what we'll taste and what we'll see is really good. And we're going to find a home to rest in. The foxes and the, the birds, their homes wither away. We have a home in the kingdom of heaven. And what we'll look to is we'll find a purpose that we will never want to look away from. 
there will not even be a hint of a desire to pursue a different agenda. So let's do that, amen? And let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your kingdom coming. Uh, we thank you for your journey, for your parable, for your voice. I'm so excited to hear it these days uh, as we journey together. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's all go and take communion now. There's bread and there's juice and wine. And as we take it, uh, we look at these ordinary elements and realize that the kingdom of Jesus, the gospel truth, comes through them. Uh, that, that, that he chose not for us to recite this thing every week. It's like, yeah, he died for us, he rose again. But instead, he chose to give us something to drink and something to eat to say, I died and I rose again. So let's go do that together, and then we'll respond more uh, in singing as well. Thanks. Thanks.